you were able to get out of that game with a win. And Kansas went to Washington and lost six nothing in game five. <laughs> and that was like just universally like, oh well, it was a fun year. They made the playoffs. Those wins were sweet. <laughs> yeah. These are the tales of hockey past as you've never heard them before. Our guests tell stories blending team seasons, on and off ice moments, memories of personal fandom catastrophe and elation, and yes, alcohol. We do the work, you tell the story. These are the Puck Stories. Hey, my name is Alex Sawyer, and I'm going to tell you the story of the 2018-19 Carolina Hurricanes. Um, so the the state of the franchise heading into 2018-19 was like certainly a very interesting one for the Canes. Um, Pete Carmanos, who had moved the Canes from Hartford to Raleigh back in the late 90s, sold the team. A guy named Tom Dundon had come in and bought it. <laughs> you know, millionaire from some financial stuff and, and came in, bought the team and pretty quickly, you know, gave the boot to Ron Francis as the GM. Bill Peters was out as the head coach. So into those roles, step Don Waddell in the GM. And then obviously Rod Brindamore comes in um, to be the head coach. So kind of right off the bat, just change in ownership, change in leadership in the front office, change in leadership on the bench. So it, it was quite the drastic shift in the offseason there just as well I Tom Dundon technically bought the team during the 17-18 season and like I think January February somewhere around there but then made the changes to start the offseason um so that was that was quite the big change Don Waddell came in as the GM and you know both Waddell as the GM and Brenda Moore as the head coach were not necessarily moves that everyone was super on board with because I mean, the Canes were coming off like nine straight years and missing the playoffs and you get a new owner in and there's some excitement and he hires a GM that's been in the front office and a head coach that's been on the coaching staff. And there were certainly a lot of people that weren't thrilled with both of those moves. Um, I remember Rod Brindamore, there was a lot of, you know, kind of like eh, sticking in the franchise that hasn't been winning with him. I think anyone that questioned either one of those moves has fully admitted at this point that they were probably <laughs> wrong to do so. Rod Brindamore's, I mean, taken the over man. as the coach <laughs> and he is the man. And John Waddell has made trade after trade after trade that you kind of look at after the fact. And it's almost like a, how, how exactly did he pull that one off? And a couple of those involved in this season um, beforehand and during the season. Um, the other there's so many things in the offseason for this team. The three big ones won a little bit of luck in the draft lottery. Um, Canes moved up to the number two overall pick. And I think if I remember right, had like a eight or 9% chance to move up into that top three. And they got the number two. And not only did they move up to the number two pick, it was a year where there was like a pretty clear cut one and two because Rasmus Dahlin went to Buffalo and then Andrei Svechnikov was there for the Canes. And that was a no-brainer, and he comes in immediately and contributes and starts scoring, you know, in pretty high numbers as an 18-year-old rookie from Russia. Um, and so you get a little lucky with the draft there, and, and you make the most of it with a guy that now looks to be the future of the franchise. And then two off-season trades that really, like, kind of shaped the way the season would go. One was offloading Jeff Skinner. You know, he had been in Carolina for a long time you know, Calder winner when he was a rookie, but kind of had fallen out of favor, you know, with the fans a little bit. He also certainly did not want to be in Raleigh anymore. That was pretty clear. So, you know, they send him to Buffalo, unload a contract, unload him, get some draft picks back. But the main thing there is offloading Jeff Skinner. And and that was a huge thing. And then the other offseason trade that I think, you know, made the bigger difference on the ice for the team was with Calgary set Noah Hannafin away who had kind of started to become a fan favorite young defenseman but he was young and he was raw and you bring in Dougie Hamilton was the big one Michael Furlan came with him and technically the rights to Adam Fox but those got traded away pretty shortly after so in the offseason you know new owner new coach new GM you also bring Dougie Hamilton in to kind of like 
be that star defenseman. You get Andrei Svechnikov to to be another really high producing top six forward. So just kind of everything fell in place for the Canes that offseason. After a season in 27-18 where it was like things are starting to look back up. Sebastian Ajo had kind of come in and started to, you know, prove that he had what it took to really be a good, you know, top-line guy in the NHL, Tabo Terra. Vinen had kind of started to come on. So 27-18 was, like, the best season the Canes have had in eight or nine years. And then so you go into a new season with some pretty high expectations. Um, some other things, <laughs> they brought Scott Darling in to play goalie. That one didn't work out, but they also bought Peter Morazic in to play. <laughs> yeah. They also brought Peter Morazic in to play goalie you know, maybe as kind of the second guy and that one worked out really well. So things really just kind of fell into place for the team that off season. Yeah. Awesome. That was a great, uh, great way to, uh, to start it off. Yeah. That's a great recap. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I forget that they got, that they like slid way up to get Sveshnikov too. That's yeah. I, I was just looking at it. I forgot that how that went down. It was, Yeah, they had a 9.9% chance to move up to a top three pick. And moved up to two. And yeah, it's a two, yeah. Yeah. I always feel like there's shady things going on with the uh with the NHL draft too. So it's weird that uh like I I don't that makes me not think that there's shady things going on. Well, however, maybe with a new new owner, new owner. Yeah, true, true, true. But but then Edmonton wins the lottery again the next year, and you're like, wait, what's going on here? (laughs) Awesome. So I mean, it sounds like going into the going into the season, like with all these moves. that people were were pretty excited like what were your thoughts kind of going into the season generally i think i thought and most fans thought that like the 2018-19 was probably the year to finally get into the playoffs like i said 2017-18 they kind of ended the season like i want to say they had a 10-11 game point streak pretty late in the year to work near a playoff spot and just kind of fell off the last couple weeks but you know like I said like Sebastian Ajo had really come on that year um Justin Falk had a really good season you kind of had some pieces in place where it was like okay this team's building a lot of young people and then you get Spetch in and you make some other moves you get Dougie Hamilton which that wasn't necessarily a sure thing obviously I mean Dougie Hamilton had been kind of up and down during his career but he played really well so like the general feeling was like this is probably a team that can finally make the playoffs biggest question mark as it was from you know any year past 2009 when cam ward stopped being really good was is their goaltending enough to do it because it was scott darling peter morozik and that was kind of like a eh, that's going to be the weakness and to be honest it probably was still the weakness peter morozik had a good year and curtis McElhaney they claimed off of waivers and had a really good year for a backup. Scott Darling certainly did not work out. Um, so, so the expectations I, 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 I feel like I saw that coming from a mile away. <laughs> I, was like, yeah. I was like, they're paying Darling, and there's a reason why he he wasn't, like, the guy for most of his career. <laughs> that's not, that's yeah. just not going to work out. <laughs> yeah, and that one very, very much did not work out. It was kind of like, a, eh, the Canes are taking a shot on someone here, and – it, it went poorly kind of got lucky that year with what Peter Morazic was able to do because like he hadn't showed that in his NHL career at all to be able to play to mm-hmm. that level and then to get Curtis McElhaney off waivers like once the season had started and he you know turns into a goalie that was a pretty good backup like yeah 2.58 goals against average like <laughs> For a backup goalie off waivers, you <laughs> that is yeah. certainly very good. Well, so take that any day of the week. Yeah. So it it was that was the biggest question mark was the goaltending because like the forward group looked pretty good. You had Aho Teravinen. You know you knew you were going to get something for Svechnikov. I think he you know probably exceeded expectations a little bit. You had Justin Williams back for you know his second year of his return stint to Carolina. So. <laughs> There, there were good expectations, not expectations that they were going to blow anyone away or certainly not that they were going to make the conference final. But I feel like most people at least thought, eh, there's a chance to make the playoffs this year. Awesome. And then 
Can you tell us a little bit like about how this season started? Um, it was a kind of more eventful off season than uh, than most. So how did uh, how did it get going? Yeah, they didn't start out like super well. They the first few weeks of the season they were good, if I remember right. They won four or five in a row after I think losing the home opener. Um, that sounds then right. They kind of they kind of struggled a little bit through November and December because that was the year the Blues turned it from, like, the worst in the league to Stanley Cup. The Canes kind of did the same thing in the Eastern Conference, not to the height that the Blues did, but they turned from pretty low in the standings, pretty far down to a really good – the 2019 portion of that year was really, really good, and, and they were able to, you know, fight up and do a playoff spot with the way they did that. But the start of the season wasn't super great. I'm looking at it now. I mean, they – first 15 games or so won – seven of them so it it was kind of up and down that first portion of the season was where you had Scott Darling kind of (laughs) playing some games and struggling and obviously still a young team too because like Andre Svechnikov was playing a top six role literally as an 18 year old like starting the season out so yeah he's gonna gonna need some time to gel yeah yeah and he certainly did (laughs) figure that out by the end of the year I mean he finished with (laughs) 37 points and and you know was one of the leading scorers on the team so but decent decent for an 18 year old yeah yeah for real (laughs) awesome so what what started um like is there anything in particular that happened that kind of started the turnaround in the in the middle part of the season yeah they like for starters you kind of figured out, I'll just keep coming back to goaltending, but you kind of figured out what you had there with Peter Morozik kind of being your everyday guy and Curtis McElhaney off of waivers being a really confident backup. And so those two started really playing well, and that was something that helped the team out greatly. Um, they also just, like, generally started playing better as a group. Like, you started Sebastian Ajo, if I remember right, did not start very well because – for the first four or five years of his career, he really struggled in the first couple of months and then turned it on at the end. He's kind of fixed those issues now. He started out really hot this year, but um, he had started out a little slow and kind of figured things out. Um, but he just the whole entire, you know, group up front just kind of started gelling better. And another thing, I'm just kind of looking through some notes here. Another thing that I think made a big difference between the two years um between 2017, 18, 18, 19 was the leadership group for the Canes. Because in 2017-18, Bill Peters last year, the Canes just, in one of the most unbelievably just kind of stupid things that was never going to work, had co-captains. Jordan Stahl and Justin Falk both had C's and one ward on the road and one at home. Brendan Moore comes <laughs> in and scraps that, gives the C to Justin <laughs> Williams, who was the guy that should have had it the year before because, you know veteran guy that had done really good things with the franchise back in the day. Mr. Mr. Game seven. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but they had, they have like a leadership group that was like solidified and not (laughs) one thing. They kind of just started putting it together as a group. Um, One of the other big things, and this is looking back at it, a trade that just is another one of those ones, like I was saying, like Don Waddell, like you look and go, how in the world do you pull that one off? Um, was sometime in mid-January, they sent Victor Rask to Minnesota in exchange for Nino Niederreiter. And at the time, it wasn't like a like head-turning, like what in the world is Minnesota doing? Rask had had a couple like decent seasons in the year before, a couple years before. He actually missed the first, like I don't know, 15, 20 games of the 18-19 season because he had to have surgery after cutting open his hand um slicing sweet potatoes in his kitchen so <laughs> that, that was one that was sweet classic. potatoes and avocados it's one, one of the two they're gonna get you <laughs> yeah that there, there's a good north carolina shout out there one of the big sweet potato producers but they missed him for a while and then they sent him to minnesota and victor rask had done nothing that year i mean absolutely nothing he had six points in 26 games with the hurricanes and Nito Niederreiter wasn't having a great season in Minnesota, but he comes in and starts – I mean, he was like a point-of-game scorer for the Canes after coming in, 
which, you know, wasn't something you could anticipate from him, but it's what they got. And I think that was another big thing that they kind of needed, like, one more score. Because they had Ajo, who was scoring a ton. Tavo Terabinen, he he gets better at it every year, but still not exactly a goal scorer as much as he is a big assist guy. Justin Williams was scoring some, but he was so very old already at this point. And so to bring, you know, Niederreiter in, and he's a guy that came in, and like I said, I think he was pretty much a point of game for that back half of the season. He was also a huge difference in that. I forgot about that trade until you mentioned it, but I, I remember following it, and I remember thinking – uh, at the time, because the Blues were st- kind of starting up there, they started up their upswing and were like kind of doing better. And uh, Nita Ryder was a guy. I was like, I feel like th- he could benefit the Blues. Like he, he has a good, you know, veteran presence and you know can score the puck a little bit. Obviously, no one expected him to do what he did, uh, but it, it obviously was just like a perfect fit for him. Probably reinvigorated with you know going to a, a hot team that was you know fighting for the playoffs and all that and yeah he he was awesome for you guys yeah that was a big like just change of scenery trade like for both guys and it worked out well for Nino Niederreiter not so much for Richter Rask but (laughs) that was that that was a big one that year too though because that was just like a you look back at the end of the season and it's like ah this is an absolute fleece job how in the world is that something that can happen because that was just a straight up trade one for one trade Yeah, January seemed to be when when things turned a corner. Yeah. Okay, now. Yeah, because they started out the 2019 portion of the season with one, two, three, four, six games, or six wins in seven games. Kind of got hot there, you know, scoring a lot in that stretch. Um, if I remember right, I think Sebastian Ajo went on a really long point streak that year to start um, when the calendar flipped, because that was also kind of the story. I mean, Ajo finished that year with, I think, yeah, 83 points, and, like, when the Canes got good in that back half, it was Sebastian Ajo who was doing it, because, like, he, I mean, <laughs> he at that point was only 21. He had been in the league for a few years, but he, like, that was the year, I think that was also the year he moved to center which was a big thing for him because he had kind of come up playing center and then played on the wing some a little bit for his first few years with the Canes. And so he started coming up or he started playing center and he really started turning it on for the Canes. Cause I, I, I do remember, I think he maybe if he didn't break, he came close to breaking the point streak record for the Canes, which I believe he actually owns now with a higher point streak because he's just been consistently great. But if I remember right, he he kind of was a big like big piece of that as well, kind of scoring more. And then just kind of getting into like January, February, can you tell us about the like bunch of jerks and storm surge and, and kind of all that kind of off ice, well partially off ice, yeah. <laughs> off ice part of the season? Because I feel like that was like kind of another kind of major shift um in invigorated the team as well as just kind of like you know everyone was talking about it like in kind of hockey media just you know across the country too yeah yeah that was honestly one of the biggest things for this team and that was all justin williams like (laughs) that's the funniest part of it all is so the canes started like from the beginning of that year with the storm surges and they were very modest at first they won i think their first win was, yeah, they won it, They beat the Rangers at home in their second home game. And the storm surge was literally, like, a clap. And, like, they skated to one end of the ice and, like, jumped into the glass. And that's kind of what it was. And then they just kind of started getting creative with it and, like, very creative with it. And, I mean, basketball-themed ones, whale-themed <laughs> ones. That was, that was another thing that Tom Dundon did when he came in. That was a big thing. Peter Carmanos had been the one that moved the team from um, – Hartford and had wanted no part of the Whalers branding and stuff. Tom Dundon came in and I, Tom Dundon is certainly a very good businessman. It's not like a sentimental thing for him. I think he came in and said, we own the rights to this logo. We can sell merchandise. Why aren't we using this? And so the Canes were Whalers jerseys that year for the first time. So that was also something that really 
you know, turn some of the talking heads off a little bit on the games because it was, eh, you moved the team from Hartford, now you're you're using the jerseys. Um, but the storm surge as well, like, I mean, they just, I'm looking through, I have like a list of them right now, like Duck Duck Goose, a bowling one, they did a March Madness one. I was at a game, um, one of the really interesting experiences for me um, in the locker room after a game, because, you know, like you go in there and you're, you know, the hockey players are going to be in there. So it's not like a, oh, like these are people who like are famous. Like you just go do your job. I went into the locker room one game and Evander Holyfield had been in the building for some reason. I have no idea why and been a part of the storm surge. And we walked into the locker room and Evander Holyfield was just kind of hanging out in there. And that was, <laughs> that was part of that. But all those storm surges, like it was something that was fun for the team. And then obviously it was Don Cherry who really took offense to it. And the famous, there are a bunch of jerks quote that then Carolina took and ran with. I mean, they made shirts. They did a storm surge where they had like a bunch of jerks like projected on the ice. Um, and so that was just a fun thing. Like it was a very fun thing for the team. And it, you could tell like, you know, with every player on the team that they were enjoying that it was something that like they choreographed and they got really into and it was never like ill-intended, but of course you're always going to get some people that think it might be. And like I said earlier, like, I think the funniest part of that whole thing was that it was Justin Williams idea. Like it was him who had started it. this. <laughs> super long NHL veteran, this multiple time cup winner coming into a team where he's much, much older than everyone else. And he has a bunch of young kids and him being the one like, yeah, we're going to have some fun with this post game. Something that really got the fans into it as well. Cause like, that's another big thing for, you know, the hurricanes is fans weren't always in the building during those kind of middle 2010s, but as they were getting better, the fans are coming in and you, you have those storm surges that I think, the fans really bought into as well. So that was just a, like a completely fun thing for that group and something that like, like you said too, like it, it was something that kind of got the Hurricanes a little more national attention than the Hurricanes had gotten since 2006. Like <laughs> it was something that kind of put a team that was playing really well more on the national stage, especially as the season went along with the bunch of jerk stuff. So that was, that was, Probably if you ask Canes fans in 20 years about that season, you know, the the series in the playoffs against Washington obviously is memorable, but it's the storm surge and the bunch of jerks thing that I think is more memorable. I mean, the Canes still sell a bunch of jerk shirts like in the team store and stuff. <laughs> and how did, has it been documented how like Justin Williams, how, how it started, like how he was it something that was happening and he kind of took it under his wing and grew it? Or was it all just born from his mind and like, what made him think? Yeah, it? it was, it was like, if I remember correctly, like at the beginning of the year, they like started it with their first home win. And it was after the game, it was like, what is that? And it was literally just, oh, this is something Justin Williams had the idea for. Okay. And it was him that he said he was just wanted to like, I don't know a team bonding thing, wanted to have some funs with the fans. You know, he, he had come back the year before. Um, but I think just like he was the captain again and, or he was the captain for the first time for the games. And I think full, he had full really, fledged captain. Yeah. captain. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The full captain for the game for, for, for every game. Full <laughs> man away. And he had been like, it was like a big thing. You want to have fun. I think as it like devolved throughout the season where it went from, oh, we're going to do a little, like, Viking clap thing and, like, just go crash into the boards to we're going to play Duck, Duck, Goose on the ice. It was, like, a collective team, like, hey, I have an idea for this. And, and they also, like, they were good with the theme ones, too. Like, I remember they had a um, March, like, a bat. they brought a basketball goal out and, like, played a little basketball game during March Madness, which obviously, you know, in the Triangle of North Carolina is um, <laughs> more so the sport that people know well. And, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they they were good about doing all that kind of stuff, a duck hunt one after an Anaheim win, stuff like that. So, but it, it was it was Justin Williams who like had the original idea, like let's do something fun for the fans. Mm -hmm. I think it definitely kind of probably snowballed, not in a bad way, but more than yeah, team building. Like, hey, I got an idea, I got an idea, and you, yeah, you come up with the best one before each game. Yeah, yeah, and that was the other thing too, because like that was a uh, like 
constant after any win was like whose idea was this or who who you know how long have you been holding on to this one because like mm-hmm. i'm sure they had some good ideas that no one ever got to call because they lost the game mm-hmm. yeah. awesome so then kind of going into into the kind of end part end of the season and like kind of the playoff push like i know you mentioned that people like thought that this was like a good team and that you know there were some expectations um for them like getting into this part of this season like kind of what were your thoughts and like how the in terms of how they finished like before the playoffs and like what what did you think were like the possibilities for this team yeah it, it came down pretty far to the wire for for the canes i if I remember right, they clinched a playoff spot maybe their second to last game. I think it was like early April. I want to see, yeah, they beat the Devils at home to clinch a spot in their last home game of the season. And like they had played well down the stretch, but they had lost a couple games too. I remember specifically, like it was, it had been more of a short thing, maybe like two weeks before the season ended. And kind of, they had a pair of games against the Capitals that I remember was like a little home and home um, that they lost both of. And at that point, I don't remember exactly, but they had been like moved out of a playoff spot or were like tied with for the last one. And it got like down to the wire. They won the last two of the season. Um, That game against the Devils that they won, that's one that I think like all Canes fans will remember because they were in the building. They got the win. Um, Peter Morazic had a good game. And like after the game, um, during his like bench bench interview, like was like almost in tears, like cheering. The, the building was full, so it it was like tight down the wire. And like I think Kane's fans, I mentioned seventeen eighteen had been pretty close. They went on a like pretty long point streak towards the end of the season. They'd done the same the year before, where it was like two weeks left was like oh they've got a chance, and then just completely fell off the table. Where this time it was like they've got a chance and they ended up winning their last three and, you know, making sure they got in. And so it, it, it was like a, it was a ride at the end of the year there that like as more than I've ever seen. And since then, obviously you have two like COVID impacted years. So things get a little bit damped down, but as much as I've ever seen, like Raleigh in the triangle area, just like everything was the hurricanes. You, it was a bunch of jerk shirts. Every time you went out, like, it was very much a, like the city was kind of paying attention and it was just, that was a really cool experience too. And, you know, being, I was a senior in college that year at NC state. So that was also kind of like sweeping through campus too. It was like, Hey, the hurricanes are actually pretty good and they're going to make the playoffs for the first time, you know, since any of us were, you know, able to drive. So that was, <laughs> it was, it was fun down the stretch. I had a lot of people like, are they still doing that student discount deal in the playoffs or what's <laughs> what's the story there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that was the other thing too. I was I was doing that, going to some games like that. And I think, you know, my freshman and sophomore year, you could show up if the game was seven, you could show up at six forty five and go grab a ticket and go in. Twenty eighteen, nineteen, especially down the stretch, like there were that I actually remember specifically with that New Jersey game because it was something they had kind of talked about um, beforehand and the team had kind of, you know, as they do, like, hey, we're expecting big crowds. Like, there were students lining up, like, 9, 10 o'clock that morning because, like, there's only so many of those tickets that you can get for cheaper. And, like, it was stuff like that that people were lining up because the the student tickets also became to a military discount. That's, like, the same thing. And, like, people were literally lining up, like, nine o'clock in the morning outside of PNC arena to make sure they were going to be able to get one of those tickets to get into that game. So that, that it was a very cool time cool. in Raleigh for a team that like hadn't done anything really good in 10 years. Right. And, and you've, you saw them before where, you know, the place was half empty or half full, however you want to look at it. And, and now you're seeing yeah people lined up, you know, 8am the morning of the, the game to get these discounted tickets and, because it's just everyone everyone caught Kane's fever. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's easier to fill the building when the team is winning. That's something that I think the Canes have experienced more than anything. But but it was certainly cool. And it was, you know, it was something that, like, the whole, like, kind of city was embracing. And, and for a team that, like, 
was still really young. And I think that's one of the cool things about like this Canes team is that like you look at 2018-19 and like they finally made the playoffs. And when you look at the roster, it's Sebastian Ajo, who's 21, Andre Svechnikov, who's 18, Tavo Teravine was like 24. And it's like this team's gonna be good for a long time. And this is kind of that first year of it. So I think that was another cool thing. People really starting to like build these like fandoms for this like group of players too. Yeah, that's a good point. It probably helped with with catching you know, the Canes fear with, it was like, it's not just a one and done yet. Like if things go well, like this can be a sustained uh, success for, for years to come. Um, anything before we kind of get uh, into like playoffs and stuff like that, any notable things from any preseason games or not preseason, uh, regular season games, um, even going back to the beginning, if, if so be it, but from covering the team and, being in the locker room, all that, any, any stories from that time? You know, I am like, just like blanking on anything that happened in that <laughs> season. It all blends together. Um, I want it. And if not, no big deal. Uh, yeah, I just, I just, I just I want to make sure we don't miss anything. There are definitely like big games that happened. If, but yeah that's cool we can uh we can get into uh into the playoffs now if you want yeah it works for me perfect so going uh going into the playoffs you mentioned that they kind of clinched towards towards the end um what uh tell us uh, about the capital series and like kind of your thoughts going in and then kind of all the games and like uh kind of what happened through there obviously you know it was a game seven um and thriller um in terms of that but just kind of tell us about this series and, and your thoughts yeah so the playoffs were interesting that year because like you go into it you clinch a playoff spot and it's you're so high as a team in a group, and then it's, oh, yeah, we got to play the Capitals now, who I don't think the Canes did very well against the Capitals that regular season. You know, it's a rivalry there. It's a rivalry that the Capitals had certainly owned, especially for the few years before that. Um, and so going into that was like, uh, eh, this team's, you know, done really good things. Who knows? Maybe they can win. Um, and it, uh, it was a very intense series. Like I, I just, every game of that series was like on the edge of your seat, like, you know, nervous. Canes lost the first two in Washington. That was the other big thing was like, you go to Washington is like, win one of these games and you can't win one of these games. And you're seeing like across the other divisions that year, cause that's the year that like every like wildcard team won their series. And some of those other series are going well for the, the wildcard teams. And it's like, hey, yeah, we're going to be the one where the Capitals are just going to sweep. Because it's, you know, 2-0 coming out of Washington. Um, the second game was a loss in overtime. And I want to say it was a pretty – nope, it was two minutes of overtime. But you lose in overtime after scoring in the third period to force it. And at that point, it's like, ah, okay, things aren't going to go the Kings way. You're coming back home, but, you know, you, you, you've got to – You've got to go win a couple in Washington at some point. Um, and the Canes came back home and won games three and four. And that was that was huge. Game three, I was not at. I remember watching that at home. The Canes won five nothing. Yeah, the Canes won five nothing. And it was just kind of a dominant effort. Warren Fogle had two goals, which no offense to Warren Fogle. He was a fan favorite, a great guy. But, like, you're not expecting two goals in a playoff game from Warren Fogle. Dougie Hamilton scored twice. That one, you know, you felt a little bit better, but it was still like, you're still down 2-1 in the series. Like, you were going to win one of these games at home, hopefully. But then game four, I think, is where things maybe started, like, becoming a little bit more of a reality. Because game four, I was in the building for. I remember that one specifically. I'd never been to a playoff game before. Um, and so I was there for that one, covering it, and just full building, just incredible atmosphere. And Warren Fogle, again, who 
scored four or five times in that series after scoring maybe four or five times in the regular season. Um, <laughs> Warren Fogle scored 17 seconds into that game. And I, I'll never forget that. That's one of my like favorite sporting memories and always will be. Well, just like there wasn't even time for the building to like calm down from that like pregame, like everyone getting hype and he scores and the place absolutely exploded. And then Alex Ovechkin scores in that game, which you know, that's something that like the Canes fans he's, are so used to seeing is out. He, he's going to get one at least yeah. every game. Just hold him to that yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the Canes like answered back pretty quickly. I remember um, like it was one, one for maybe a few minutes and then someone else on the Canes scored and it was, you were able to get out of that game with a win. And so it was two, two headed back to Washington and like you felt good again. And that's kind of the like, the gist of the series was it went from, hey, you're not feeling good to you at least won your two games at home. And the Canes went to Washington and lost 6 nothing in game five. <laughs> and that was, like, just universally, like, oh, well, it was a fun year. They made the playoffs. They're building those, win- the those wins were sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got two wins at home. Now we got to go back to Washington. Going to get to come back home again for one more, but, like, this series is done. Um, comes back home and the Canes do win. So, you know, you're going chalk the home team winning. And so, you know, you're doing the math and you're like, okay, well, we got to go there for game seven. And I think even still it was like maybe some hope because you had one game six at home and like at least forced game seven. And I think game six was another pretty commanding win, which like to have two of those at home in that series was good. And then that game seven was, uh, I think, Canes fans will collectively tell you this, I, other than 2006, obviously, because there were some overtime games in that series that were crazy too. But Game Seven against Washington that year was unbelievable. I was at um because the game was in Washington, so I went with some friends to a like sports bar restaurant, you know, right off NC State's campus to watch it. Place was absolutely packed. Um, and that game goes to double overtime, and it was, I mean, just as intense as a hockey game could be. Washington got up early in the first period, I remember, I think 2 nothing, and then Canes kind of battled back. Canes scored in the third pretty early. I think it was Jordan Stahl. Yeah, it was Jordan Stahl to, to, to tie the game. And then, I mean, overtime in game seven of a series just against Washington, like, that's a good Washington team, and just absolutely as nervous as you can be. One overtime goes, and you got to play a second, and then just the goal being, you know, Brock McGinn scored it in front of net, but it was Justin Williams who really made that play, got the puck on net, and, like, for Justin Williams to be the guy that Again, he didn't score it, but he made the play. Like it doesn't get better than that. And like, do you expect? Do you expect anybody else though in Game Seven? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> for for him to come back and, and you know, again, it was his second year back with the Canes, but like, it, it was just like storybook ending of that series. You know, not only do you make the playoffs, you go down early in a series to Washington. You have a six nothing loss. You're able to come back and win it in double overtime and just an insane game. And it was. That was, like, you know, as far as, like, watching a sporting event, some of the most fun I've ever had in my life. Because, again, like, I was at, like, a sports bar with just nothing but college students who had really bought into the games, and it was it, it was a good time. Awesome. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, kind of prepping for the, uh, the next series with the Islanders. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, the Islanders series was a really was just like kind of almost came and went before you had even like realized it had started because the Canes sweep that one. Before we get into that, what so all right after after you beat the uh, Capitals, like what was the sense of either your sense or general sense of the fan base was it kind of like all right like no matter what happens from here on like that was what we needed season's a success. Anything else is gravy. Like, are, like, are we happy with this, or is it like still business to be done? Yeah, yeah. I think like there's certainly a sense of like we've done what we needed to do. Like the Canes mm-hmm. got a playoff series win over the Capitals, first year back in the playoffs. 
you know, people were happy. The Islanders, you know, first round series, I think they had, yeah, they had beaten the Penguins. So, like, they looked pretty good at that point, And, like, they had had a really good regular season. So, there was, I think, certainly. You guys, like, you guess sense. spoiled the annual matchup of the Capitals versus the Penguins. <laughs> hey, exactly, exactly. You get Kane's <laughs> Islanders instead of Capitals. <laughs> but I think there was, like, yeah, definitely a sense of, like, this has been a success. You mm-hmm. have an Islanders team that obviously is playing well, beat the Penguins. You, again, they're the home. They get home ice advantage. They get the first two games at home kind of like not necessarily expecting a lot there and you got the exact opposite the Canes just absolutely dominated the series the first game went to overtime the first game I Peter Morozik had a shutout Jordan Stahl scored in overtime that one was close and intense and then it like almost felt like like the tires kind of came off for the Islanders at that point and the Canes just kind of ran away with it I think game two was also actually somewhat close in New York and the Canes came back to win that one. Yeah, they came back to win that one in the third with a pair of goals. Uh, Warren Fogel scored again because <laughs> that, was, that was another thing in the playoffs too that you just – I'll never forget that because, again, Warren Fogel, solid like depth hockey player, but he had 15 points in the regular season and scored, I think, six goals in the playoffs that year. Had four in the Washington <laughs> series. Scores against the Islanders. And then the you come back to Raleigh where, again, like, the atmosphere just, it was such a big home ice advantage and the Canes kind of blew the Islanders out in games three and four. I was actually for game four of that series. Um, school had just ended. Like we had just finished finals. I was at the beach with a bunch of friends from the student newspaper that I worked at. And so we watched the, me and one of our the other sports editors watched the game literally on my computer, like hotspot from my <laughs> phone, like the blurriest <laughs> thing. But it, it, it was just like, at that point, I think there was like a sense of like, you know, why not? Like, so, someone's got to win. <laughs> yeah, someone's got to win the Stanley Cup. The Canes in two thousand six, like, certainly weren't the team anyone thought would win the Cup that year. Um, the Carolina Hurricanes have a really weird history of if they make the playoffs, they're going far. Um, the last two years, not as much, but at that point, like in '09, they made the conference finals In 19, they made the conference finals. They obviously won the cup in 06. They had made another cup. And like, that was kind of it. Like they had pretty much gone to the conference finals any year. They had made the playoffs, like since (laughs) moving to Raleigh, which is just bizarre because they didn't make the playoffs very much. Playoff hockey is easy. You just got to get there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think that's the thing, right? You, we can't get to the playoffs. Like we, we can go nine straight years without making it, but once o- there, over half the teams make it, but like, damn, we can't quite get there. But if we do, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that Islander series was just like, it was dominant. And like, that was, that was like, it, it was, it was kind of surprising, but then you kind of got into it. And once things started rolling, it, it really was, I think that sense of like, okay, why not? Like, this is a team that, has come on in the back half of the season, much like St. Louis did on the other side. They're looking pretty good. They're playing well. They just beat a really good Islanders team after beating a really, really good Capitals team. Um, and so, like, spirits were very high, and then you just kind of run into a buzzsaw with the Bruins because they Real came quick, absolutely did, no answer. Did Marazic get hurt after or during game one? Of that, because I just see, I I know he was the he was the goalie for all of the first round, and then the first game of round two, but then McElhaney was. Yes, he did. I forgot about that. Yeah, he did. That's got to be a bit nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah, he. You win the you win the first round. You win your first game, but oh shit, your starting goalie's hurt. <laughs> Yeah, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, so Peter Morazic went down during game two, I think. I think, and okay. Peter Morazic, like, always an adventure with Carolina. It He had some injury issue, and, like, fun goalie to watch. You were always kind of on your edge of your seat with him because he did not like to stay in the crease. He would go everywhere. <laughs> um, and he had a lower body injury in that second game, I think, kind of with one of those situations where he came out from a for a puck and got you know hit and the Canes had to go to Curtis McElhaney in that second game and then I think kind of maybe more 
you know, you come home with a 2-0 lead and Curtis McElhinney played really well once he came in that second game, was a little more precautionary than anything. But a hot um, hand type of thing. Yeah, and you have a hot hand. So he came back and played well. But yeah, I, I completely forgot about that um Peter Morazzi going out, but he did. He got hurt in the second during the second game. And so McElhaney came in and did well. Um like I said, he was a guy you picked up on waivers during the year and had been a really good backup, but it was clearly defined that year like starter backup roles. So you certainly mm-hmm. didn't want to go to him in the playoffs, but um he 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 played well in that series, and of course the Canes came home and scored five goals in games three and four. So that's always certainly helps. <laughs> and you didn't have to rush Morazic back or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, so and then he was ready and healthy. He was ready and healthy for the Boston series because I think he played all four in the Boston series. No, he started it. it. Just I I just have the the goalies who were in there at the end, and they. Had, for the Boston, and it was two Morazic, two McElhaney, but it, yeah, yeah, those first two games were rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, they did go to McElhaney, and because yeah, Morazic led in five and six in games one and two in Boston. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess uh, kind of setting the stage going into that. Obviously, we know how it played out, but um, you're thinking, okay, you know, we just, we just rolled the Islanders. Why not us? Um, Boston's obviously good. They have household names in the hockey world. People have been there forever. They've been there, done that. They've won cups, all that. Are we thinking, hey, we got a shot? Or I don't know. The the the, sh- the clock might strike midnight here. Yeah, no. Like I, there was like I think like big buzz for the hurt games because you would just come off a dominant series against the Islanders. Mm. There was that why not us sense. Um, I I remember I have a good friend who worked with us at the student paper that's from Boston, huge Bruins fan. And, you know, we were talking all sorts of crap to each other and just immediately we had to shut up because he was certainly the one that had the upper hand in that. But (laughs) there there was like hope in that series, but you lose 5-2-6-2 in the first two games on the road. (laughs) And like, those Capitals games you lost on the road were close games, those first two. Mm-hmm. The Boston ones just, I mean, utterly, completely outplayed. And I think after those two games, it was, okay, this team's run out of steam, and they come home and they lose the next two. So, you know, that's a series I honestly don't remember much of just because it was such a, like, you just met, like, a buzzsaw with the Bruins, and, like, it just mm-hmm. kind of, like, the tires deflated completely. And it, it was, there was not a, like, one of those games was 2-1, but, like, there really wasn't a competitive game in that series. Mm, that's just a week to forget. <laughs> let's let's yeah. let's let's reminisce on the on the good times. Let's that that week never happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> two good series wins, you make the playoffs. I think I graduated <laughs> that week of the Bruins series, so that probably goes into oh, yeah, so you, not yeah, remembering you're, it. Yeah, but... yeah your, your life is a whirlwind as is. <laughs> exactly. Um, so if you good. No, I was just going to say, I completely forgot um, to mention just another very North Carolina, very odd thing during the playoffs. Um, I don't know how national this got, because it was certainly something that we saw a ton of here, but there was a pig that like was like a rally pig for the Canes. So if you don't know the Canes um, mascot, it's it, it, the Canes mascot is a pig, and its name is Stormy, and it's a pig to celebrate North Carolina's barbecue industry, which I've always found a little, little odd. But there was a actual pig named Hamilton. Someone named their pig after Dougie Hamilton that they just started like bringing to tailgates um, at PNC before playoff games, and it just became a huge thing to the point where the next year I was like I would be in the arena like as a fan going to games, and there was just a pig in a wagon being rolled around the. <laughs> concourse of the arena for people to take pictures with but like that's kind of how big it got in Raleigh is that like there was a pig coming to tailgates and, watch parties. <laughs> and, and I mean it just it, it was a wild ride but I you can kind of make fun of yourself a little bit there's nothing more in North Carolina like people talk about Raleigh being you know a very non-traditional hockey market because obviously it is a non-traditional hockey market nothing screams that more than we have a literal pig off of a farm <laughs> that makes our games well, well, well that and 
uh, when you said, yeah, we watched game four of the Islanders series on the beach from my phone. <laughs> Hang it out. Yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> So if you were if you were to sum up like this season, like what would what would like your your main thought be about this season? Like last yeah, I think like, parting thoughts. The big thing with like the 2018-19 Canes was like, and this is sounds cliche and cheesy, but it really did like revitalize hockey in Raleigh because you go back to like 06 and even like 0809 when the team was very good, like people cared about the Hurricanes. Like there it was like. A, something that people talked about and paid attention to and then you go through nine years of not making the playoffs and like there's people in the state that probably didn't know the team existed there's people in raleigh who probably barely ever saw anything hurricanes related and so to have like a team finally like play well and make the playoffs but not it not only as i think as important that year as making the playoffs and being good on the ice was the stuff like the storm surge and the bunch of jerks thing to kind of like be a bigger story for the canes because canes haven't had any issue with the fan base since like you start the next season and you know obviously then you hit COVID and you can't necessarily tell but 2019-20 they were selling out every game until things got shut down when they came back last year with fans like in the playoffs like people were filling the building the building's been completely full pretty much all this year so like the biggest thing about that 2018-19 season was that it, like, it very much, like, revitalized the team, revitalized the sport in the area to the point where, like, you know, you know the Canes are here now. And that's something that I'm not sure you could say in 2015. There you have it. That is the story. And these are the puck stories. Was it 100% accurate? Yeah, that sounds right. Follow us on Twitter at The Puck Stories. Also see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcasts at The Stories Pods on Twitter as our guests rewrite the past across various sports. Alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion. Please drink responsibly.